All right, welcome to the Dr. Axe Show. I'm Dr. Axe. Today we have Dr. David Perlmutter. He is a board-certified neurologist and four-time New York Times best-selling author. Uh, you know, I- I've known Dr. Perlmutter for years, and I can tell you I am always so impressed by several things. One, his passion for helping people get healthy. Uh, he has such a passion that some doctors have and some don't. So I love that about him. He is so in tune with the latest research. Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, doctors don't stay up on it, but Dr. Perlmutter does, which I love. And, you know, I have recommended his books in the past, including Grain Brain to so many people. You know, that book alone sold more than a million copies. And, uh, you know, he's been on Dr. Oz, CNN, Fox News, everything you'd imagine. He's been awarded with a lot of awards for really being a pioneer uh, in, uh, you know, in education and really helping people realize that we need to start getting healthy. We got to reduce inflammation. We got to take care of our gut health and really looking at this thing called the gut-brain connection. And Dr. Perlmutter also has a new book out we're going to talk about. It's called Brainwash. And he actually co-authored this book with his son, Austin Perlmutter. This will be available in 2020, January, which we'll talk about too. And here's the thing I'm most excited about, to hear a little bit, a little bit about his trip he just got back from taking four months a four-month boat trip uh, to Alaska and all over the Pacific Ocean. So, Dr. Perlmutter, uh, hey, thanks for being here with me today. I am always delighted, uh, Dr. Axe. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so, man, we got a lot to talk about. The first question... <laughs> and who have, knows where this conversation... No, I know. Can go. It can go anywhere. It's going to be great. Uh, man, I'll, I'll tell you, when I saw that you wrote a book with your son, I got excited. I think that's such an awesome thing, especially for just a father-son to be able to do... Tell me about how this book is different than some of the rest of your books. What, what is the main theme of your book, and, and who is this book for? Well, there's a lot of answers that I could put forth. Uh, first, uh, what an honor to be embraced by a, the younger generation and to think that dad is okay enough. I'm not going to say cool enough, but okay enough that I'm going to want to hang out with him and write a book. So, uh, it, in fact, it really is... Um, a book that should have come from Austin's generation. Austin is board certified internal medicine medical doctor. Uh, and, and where he came from in terms of writing this book was his very deep frustration uh, with the practice of medicine in that here he is at the top of his game, you know, doing everything he can to stay current with the literature, learning the very best treatment options, then meeting with patients as we all do one-on-one, uh, giving them this wonderful information here. If you do this, if you change your diet and, and do these various things, you're going to reduce your risk for problems. You'll lose weight, et cetera, whatever the goal may be. And then seeing that patient again several months later and realizing that nothing's happened. So it wasn't for the lack of our education. It isn't for the lack of our passion in terms of communicating the message. What we discovered and what really Austin discovered was the missing link here was the decision-making process on the part of the patient. Mm. The patients couldn't execute. And what we realized is for the most part, it isn't their fault. Meaning uh, that what we've discovered is that in modern day, our decision-making apparatus, the way we make decisions, has been absolutely hijacked by so many events of modern society. The digital world in which we live, the foods that we are exposed to, the media that we are exposed to, the lack of sleep that we engage, our lack of contact with nature, the lack of meditation and prayer, uh, the lack of relationships, all of these things actually physically, structurally, and functionally 
change the brain's decision making. So that was a big aha moment wow. for both Austin and for me. And we realized we've got to get people reconnected to making good decisions for themselves, for their family members, for their communities, and for the planet. And uh, it really was a very uh, uh, much of a, re a revelation when we really discovered that there's this balance in our decision-making between the fear center of the brain, the amygdala, and the more sophisticated human part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. So the amygdala, which lives in the temporal lobe, is really uh, an area that when it is active, it is an, an area that lets us be impulsive, uh, egotistical, not caring about the other person, not caring about ourselves, and really not having any concern about tomorrow, about the, the consequences of our actions. Now that is contrasted with the prefrontal cortex, the front part of the brain that really defines us as being human. And that is the part of the brain that allows us to be compassionate, empathetic, uh, caring for the future, caring for each other, caring for the, the planet on which we live, and really allows us what's called executive function, to do purposeful actions and under understand why they are important. Young children don't really have much connection to that prefrontal cortex. They're pretty much acting uh, in the here and now. I want my whatever it is, and I want it now, and that's how children act. We kind of expect that, especially if they haven't had their nap. That should tell you something about the value of sleep. But as we go through our adolescence, we begin to develop this connection with this really important part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, that brings the adult to the room, if you will. But what we discovered is that the connection to this important decision-making part of the brain, that again, we got to when we realized our patients weren't making the right decisions, and then extrapolated that to all of us, that we're really not making the best decisions that we could, what threatens our connection is inflammation. Mm. Now for you, I know that that just gave you the chills because when I yeah. embrace that notion that inflammation severs our ability to access the adult in the room and leaves us in a situation where we don't make good decisions, where we are impulsive and narcissistic. Inflammation is brought on by our diets, by our lifestyles, by our lack of restorative sleep, by our lack of exercise, and what we've learned uh, as well by our lack of connection with nature. So we live in a world then that is doing everything it possibly can to foster our impulsivity and keep us away from thoughtful decision-making. And we realize that, you know, this westernization of the global diet, the, the way that our Western diet, which is a pro-inflammatory diet, is being forced upon the rest of the world for monetary reasons. It's very cost-effective and it has long shelf life. We're changing the way the brain works across the planet. And we wonder why things are the way they are. And we wonder why people who are overweight, for example, can't get out of their own way, can't make the right decisions. We've always said, oh, they just need to spend more time on the elliptical machine and stop eating the carbs, eat more fat, and all the dietary stuff uh, that we talk about. And we, we sort of have blamed them. And we realize now that they're stuck. Their brains have been hijacked. Their brains have been hijacked by the foods that they eat, by the advertisements that are purported, that are, are uh, thrust upon them on their social media. We realize that, you know, that 
people, Americans, spend about 40 to 45% of their waking hours in front of a screen. And, you know, typical 18 to 24-year-olds are spending three hours a day on social media, which are just peppered with advertisements that do two things. They make us feel as if we don't measure up, that we could be better if we'd only uh, make more money, uh, uh, lose weight, you name it, be more attractive, and at the same time, supplying us with the quick fixes uh, to satisfy those perceived uh, inadequacies. And that goes on and on day after day and continues to lock people into behaving from their amygdala, from their primitive brain center. So we wrote this book, Brainwash, about first calling it out in a loving way that um, you know you may not be making great decisions, but guess what? It's not really your fault that things have happened along the way that you didn't have any control over. And here's how you can fix it. You can pay attention uh, to the amount of sleep that you get. Is it restorative sleep? Is it allowing you to reconnect to your prefrontal cortex? You can make time to reconnect with nature, meditate, pray, eat the right foods. Uh, all of these things are really fundamentally important in allowing the brain to heal and actually functionally restructuring the brain and this is demonstrated by great science that does these things that shows for example that when you keep somebody up all night and then you do what's called an fmri a functional mri scan you immediately see that the amygdala is lit up that they're behaving from their primitive brain it's the reason why people who miss restorative sleep the next day eat a lot more calorie dense food read wow. a high carbohydrate diet and then they uh, ultimately gain weight and then they sleep more poorly. It becomes a vicious cycle. These are, no pun intended, feed forward cycles. So that's what went into the new book. Um, is it a departure from Grain Brain, uh, Brain and uh, Brain Maker and those other books? Uh, yeah, from those two. But more recently, I, I wrote a book called The Grain Brain Whole Life Plan that really does more than just talk about going gluten free and eating a low carb. A diet and welcoming healthy fat back to the table, it does talk about the importance of exercise and restorative sleep more along the lines of why it's important for your brain uh, to turn on healthy genes for your brain. Uh, this book is uh, existential uh, in that we've identified that these things are happening uh, and it has implications in terms of, of the globe, wow. in terms of how we treat each other uh, internationally and how we respect the planet. I mean, you know, you and I are having this conversation today when the United States is having a meeting today on climate change. And we've got to, we've got to really pay attention. We've got to extend our empathy that is developed by tapping into our prefrontal cortex. We've got to extend that empathy to all living things and to the, the planet on which we live. Yeah. Well, this is one of the reasons why I, uh, man, I, I love what you do. You know, it's, it's really looking at, you know, taking it further than, and, and listen, for so many people, I think going gluten-free, reducing the refined grains, you know, eating a better diet is so important, but really understanding that it goes far, far beyond that in terms of how this affects everything in our life. You know, I remember reading years ago that the number one uh, cause of divorces in the United States was financial issues. But then the number one cause of financial issues in people is healthcare costs. 
And, and, and it's just, it's interesting as you kind of continue to go down the rabbit hole of if people are not sleeping, if they're highly stressed, if they have inflammation throughout their bodies, what that can le- mean in terms of their relationships, includes of their finances and, and, and them fulfilling their callings and dreams. So I, uh, I'm totally on board and so excited with what you're teaching here. I want to recommend Hey, everybody go out. You can pre-order the book uh, on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com, Brainwash. We're going to talk about a lot of the things in there today. But let's go ahead and start off just touching on a few things that you kind of already uh, hinted upon. And so what do you believe, maybe mention some of your top ones in terms of both diet, but also lifestyle things that we're doing that are really causing our bodies to, you know, p- putting us in this situation of, not having an activated frontal cortex, amygdala is being is firing on all cylinders. What what are the biggest things put causing that to happen? You know, I don't know that I'm going to be able. I, I think it varies person to person. I mean, okay. some people uh, eat wrong and and spend a reasonable amount of time at the gym. Uh, others eat pretty well and don't exercise, but don't sleep well. And so I think we have to look at the various factors. I don't know globally what the number one factor is, but one thing that has happened globally is this incredible interaction with technology. And that has these uh, uh, downstream effects that you sort of alluded to as you talked about going down the rabbit hole. And I think technology uh, is you know, is really useful. We should use technology, but not be used by it. And I think it's important, and we, we call it out in chapter one, uh, that we are uh, highly valued assets for the world of technology, that our, what we pay attention to when we're online <clears throat> has great value to people, to companies. And so therefore, our online experience is absolutely manipulated to keep us engaged so that we can see advertisements, and that has great value. So again, um, you know, technology is a useful servant, um, but it can be a dangerous master. And that is a quote uh, from Christian Lang, uh, who won the Nobel Prize in 1921. That's long before we had cell phones. And so I think we have to understand, we wrote the book using internet technology. You and I are conversing right now because of the, the blessing of internet technology. It's great. But this relationship that you and I have right now, this interaction, is less fulfilling and sustaining than it would be had you and I been in a room together, uh, breathing yep. the same air and having a face-to-face personal encounter. Yep. It's good. I mean, there's good to come out of what we're doing, that's for sure, we wouldn't be doing it. So it, it's difficult, again, to pinpoint. And I think that when uh, the, the problem is that so many of these entrance points uh, get people on the carousel and they can't get off because they then make other aspects that feed into the system worse. As I mentioned, for example, if you decide that you want to be more productive and stay up really late, get up really early in the morning so you can really uh, burn the candle and, and get ahead, what happens? Your diet will change. You'll eat more uh, carbohydrate-dense, calorie-dense foods. Uh, your ability to regulate your behavior will be diminished because you will sever your connection to your frontal cortex. You will therefore make worse decisions as these decisions relate to uh, exercise, as they relate to spending quality time with other people, and as they relate to even your use of technology. So one thing leads to another. Where we, where we come at this 
is we hit people with, with all of these leverage points. We talk about how do you set yourself up for a good night's sleep? I mean, uh, Matthew Walker wrote an amazing book called Why We Sleep. And I just uh, heard him interviewed on uh, Peter Atiyah's podcast, brilliant, brilliant information. Uh, we spend a third of our lives sleeping, or at least we should. And therefore, when we see that that's been built into our genome and that all living animals sleep, uh, it's very, very important. And we've always relegated it, especially as a physician, right? We, you know, during internship, I mean, I think uh, I was up uh, typically in a week, 115, 120 hours a, uh, a week. It doesn't leave much time to allow your brain to do what it needs to do. So these days, people don't sleep as well and as uh, long as they should. And that has profound repercussions, increases risk for virtually every chronic degenerative condition you can think of, from cancer to diabetes, coronary artery disease, and yes, Alzheimer's as well. And at the same time, dramatically compromises your ability the next day to make good decisions. So sleep alone, I think, is not talked about like it should be, but extremely valuable. And just getting that, you know, if I have to put my nickel down on one thing, I won't. But if, uh, and I, I think that we really cannot undervalue the incredible importance of getting restorative sleep. And uh, I, I recommend that adults go as far as to have a sleep study. Go to a sleep lab and see, not just are you so-called asleep for eight hours a night, but are you getting restorative sleep? Mm. Are you getting stage three and four non-REM sleep? Uh, are you going through all the stages of sleep that do the things that it needs to do to clean up your brain, to activate the brain system that actually takes out the garbage, if you will, the lymphatic system? Uh, beyond that, we spent a lot of time talking about diet. And the Grain Brain Doctor, that's yours truly, uh, in this book is advocating at least one meal a day to be plant-based. And why do we do it? Well, I did it because we did it because the evidence is really clear. It's the right thing to do. Um, I think that I was a bit dismissive over the years of the, of the indication that uh, a animal product heavy diet had global implications in terms of the environment. It does. Uh, I also was a bit dismissive of some of the uh, health claims of, uh, related to this type of diet, and I think they're valid. So I think going one meal a day plant-based is a good thing. And then beyond that, of course, everything you can do to keep your blood sugar down uh, and to, you know, we go as far as to talk about a time-restricted eating, uh, periodic fasting, all of these things are really good, ultimately with the goal of reducing inflammation. Why do we want to do that? Because in this book, we get to the point where we, we connect inflammation with severing our, our connection to that part of the brain, that God-given part of the brain that defines wow. who we are and lets us be the, the people we want to be moving forward. Inflammation gets in our way, and everything we can do to reduce inflammation, like you've talked about for years, uh, you know, your book, Eat Dirt, focus on the role of the microbiome in its relationship to chronic diseases through the mechanism of inflammation. Everyone's talking about it, and we should. Uh, I saw on online today, I was online doing some research, that there was a, a, a new uh, article came out saying that scientists 
reveal that inflammation may play a role in Alzheimer's disease. Oh, really? Really? Like, uh, that was news. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, it, it's good that people are finally getting to the, this understanding that you know, really inflammation is a manifestation of a disconnect. It's a disconnect between our lifestyles and the type of signals that need to be sent to our DNA to manifest health. So we got to do everything we can to reduce inflammation. I love that term you just used there, disconnect, because I think that's such a thing that's happening. And we could go again, very deep into this, but looking at, as you were saying earlier, people are spending so much time in social media that uh, they're not talking to the person next to them on the bus or the airplane or in the car. You know, I mean, you know, you look at kids on a school bus today, there's no conversations being had for the most part. Everyone is looking at their phones. And so that actual lack of connection, and that would be another thing of what happens when you don't communicate and have conversations with real people and what's the difference between having a conversation with a person over uh you know technology whether it be a phone or a computer or uh in in person and so it really is interesting and you know would you say something or uh to somebody the same way you know in a text message versus a real life person so it's, it's really interesting one of the one of the disconnections i'm interested to hear your thoughts on and if you touch on this in the book is sort of our disconnection from the earth from our, from, from our, from the planet. You know, I, I loved it. You know, before we started, I know you and I were talking about, you just recently went on a trip, a four month boat trip, uh, where you went to Alaska, you spent time in the Pacific ocean, catching salmon, doing everything. I mean, I love that. And for me, like I think about the times when I get the most refreshed and for me, it's never, you know, say, Hey, I'm going to go somewhere and be inside all day. Like when I go and get recharged and refreshed, I'm at the beach or ocean. I'm camping outdoors. I'm doing something in nature. Talk to me a little bit about sort of the inflammation, our brains, our guts, all these different things, but being disconnected from the planet. We do spend, in fact, there's an entire chapter dedicated to the notion of reconnecting with nature and how salubrious that really is. 87% uh, of the time uh, 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 eight, Americans spend 80% of their 87% of their time indoors. Another 6% of their time is spent in their cars, and it doesn't leave much time then to be out of doors. Why is it so important? Well, what the research uh, is uh, showing, and uh, that research is really exploding over the past decade, is that exposure to natural environments, even if they're in a, an urban environment, and that doesn't that sounds contradictory, in a park in an urban environment, for example, people think. You, know, you mentioned that we just went to Alaska. Well, great. And not everybody is going to do that on a weekend or in, go into a forest. But even just spending time in a natural environment, quasi-natural, in an urban city, uh, in a city, uh, has some incredible effects in terms of, well, as one study recently shown, uh, showed, they did uh, measurement of salivary cortisol levels. Uh, in individuals who either remained in an urban environment or who made their way to a small park or were near trees. And there was a dramatic difference in the level of this stress hormone, cortisol. Now, we've been studying cortisol for many years. I'm sure your listeners are tuned in in terms of cortisol, what it means. But what new research is showing is that cortisol, like inflammation, does two important things. First, it directly challenges our ability to turn on the prefrontal cortex. And second, like inflammation, Cortisol affects the way our brains and bodies can make serotonin, an important neurotransmitter for 
happiness, if you will. That's a bit of a stretch. But we know that in the presence of, of cortisol and or the presence of inflammation, we shuttle uh, tryptophan, the precursor amino acid that makes serotonin, away from making serotonin. And interestingly, uh, I learned last night <laughs> that it produces another chemical that's actually quite damaging to the brain that further damages our ability to turn on the prefrontal cortex. Uh, we know that uh, getting out into the, into the forest, you are exposed to various phytonicides, chemicals uh, that we breathe, that we smell, that are immediately calming and uh, more delayed action actually has an effect on improving immune function. Research after research study has demonstrated that people recovering from surgery, if they have a window view of the outside and trees versus the outside and another building, they will require less pain medication and they will be discharged from the hospital sooner. So it's again an indication that just any exposure to something natural is really good for us. And in fact, it can even be a photograph of a natural environment or even a plastic plant that just shows you how far the research has gone. So we advocate 30 minutes a week of getting outside in a more natural environment. If that's not something you can do, we advocate maybe growing an herb garden in your kitchen, getting some plants or even just some photographs of the out of doors. But we didn't realize uh, and from the scientific community, how incredibly valuable this is. Uh, the Japanese uh, have something they call shirin-yoku, which is, means forest bathing. And they have dedicated a lot of research dollars to looking at how incredibly powerful this is. So, you know, I think we're, we're inherently, we understand this. We see, you know, out west, uh, various tech companies have uh, natural areas that their workers can go to on their lunch breaks, et cetera. I think it's extremely valuable and extremely underrated. I love it. This is a, uh, and, and again, th there's one thing to be said for, and I love that there is starting to be some research done on this topic. Hey guys, Dr. Axe here to talk to you about multi-collagen protein from Ancient Nutrition. I personally believe that collagen can be one of the biggest game changers for your health. In fact, it's the number one supplement I consume and recommend on a regular basis. Here's why collagen is so critical. Your skin, your nails, your joints, even your gut is made up of collagen. And if you want to transform your health, I recommend you take it every single day to take what I believe is the highest quality collagen. Search Ancient Nutrition Collagen Protein today. There's something that I just, I just think, you know, deep inside all of us know that I just think about Chelsea and I just two weeks ago went to the beach and uh, down in uh, Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. And it's like, we, the moment we walked out on the beach, closed our, just listened to the ocean for a few minutes. You could, I could feel stress hormones. I, I mean, could I actually feel like the exact, but I could feel stress reducing. Absolutely. It's why we do it. Yeah. And we all know that to be true. You don't need a scientific study to tell you that you feel better when you're in a natural environment and you feel less stressed. Well, <laughs> that's a big deal. Anything that you can incorporate into your life to reduce stress, whether it's meditation, uh, improving your sleep, eating appropriately, or getting out into nature, connecting with other people, whether for you it's music or uh, playing pinochle, whatever it is, 
we know that the literature you know, is indicative that that is really, really good for you in terms of immune function, in terms of wound healing, in terms of uh, overall uh, health uh, and longevity. Uh, but what we've now learned is this powerful detrimental role that stress is playing, again, getting back to our original model, on this relationship between our primitive brain and the more top-down uh, control that we gain uh, from activation of the prefrontal cortex. You, you know, one of the things, Dr. David, you mentioned earlier, because and I don't want to miss this because, you know, you, you really emphasize that it is so important to sleep. And so I want to just, I want to share something I started doing recently and, and would love to hear um, your thoughts and hearing you go deeper on this. But Chelsea and I now have a, uh, we have a big infrared light in our home. And so the company's called Juve, but we've used this infrared light. And I, you know, I didn't know how much of a difference I would notice, but I really noticed we kind of stopped doing as much screen time and looking, I, I try not even to look at my phone and, you know, really after dinner and I started doing this infrared light at night, but um, I absolutely can tell my sleep is better. I don't know if I'm sleeping more hours, but I'm, my sleep is, is better. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on blue light, red, you know, you know some of these different things. Absolutely. Uh, so to, um, a significant degree, our sleep is, you know, it's, it's obviously a very circadian event. Uh, the levels of melatonin in our body uh, change in a circadian way, uh, as do the levels of cortisol, for that matter. Uh, and I think we've really got to do what we can to allow our bodies to suppress melatonin during the day and then allow uh, melatonin to build up towards evening time. And blue light, as you mentioned, is actually a very important player for that because it suppresses melatonin availability and therefore can have a significant effect upon uh, your ability to get good sleep. Um, and you've got to do everything you possibly can, I think, to avoid blue light. You really shouldn't be watching uh, TV after dinner, although many people do. If you do, you go online and you buy a pair of amber glasses. They're real expensive. They're about $8 a pair. And you wear them. And what does it do? It filters out the blue light. Uh, you don't want to be on your uh, phone in bed texting while you're watching TV. Uh, people wonder why they're feeling crappy. It's because they're not ultimately getting restorative sleep. Now, I mentioned earlier that uh, it might be a good idea to have a sleep study and get a sense as to how well you're sleeping. Uh, I happen to chart my sleep with something called an aura ring. And it allows me to understand how subtle variations in my lifestyle choices manifest in terms of the quality of and quantity of my sleep. Uh, and I've, over the years, become much more diligent about protecting my sleep and making it not negotiable anymore at my age. That, you know, people say, oh, let's, we'll, we'll go to a movie, but we'll go at eight o'clock or 10 o'clock. I'm not in for that anymore. I, yeah. I, you know, I'm not trying to be antisocial, but I just say no, because I, I'm messed up the next day. I'm not who I want to be. Yeah. Uh, I have less control. I, I feel it. And uh, I, I like being in control. I like making the right uh, choices for myself. And therefore, I think it helps me do what I do and be productive at what I do. And I, and I appreciate the mission that I'm on. So uh, I use an aura ring. How accurate it is, I think it's fairly accurate. I know I can perturb my sleep with certain uh, issues that I might engage in. Uh, I, my sleep is not as restorative if I have a glass of wine, which is not common, but I would have a glass of wine uh, once a week or so. And I 
definitely can feel a difference. So um, sleep is uh, a powerful epigenetic event. We are turning on genes. Uh, our DNA, we're changing expression of our DNA by getting good sleep. We are um, augmenting uh, the brain's ability to rid itself of potentially very damaging uh, misfolded proteins like amyloid and tau protein. And uh, it's been demonstrated that one night of uh, inadequate sleep, the next day, that one study that was recently completed showed that uh, spinal fluid evaluation of people who had interrupted, uh, had non-restorative sleep, the next day they did a spinal tap and their, tall, uh, their evidence of uh, amyloid markers was extremely elevated. And that's not a good thing. Uh, for your brain. We know there's a correlation between amyloid and, and uh, Alzheimer's, though it's not uh, certainly by any means direct. So uh, what are you doing with, with the sauna? I think there's a lot of information lately uh, about the upsides of at least raising your core temperature. Uh, Rhonda Patrick and her podcast has been talking about that quite a bit as of late. Uh, we know that um, by raising your temperature, you activate what's called heat shock protein, uh, which has some very important uh, positive effects in terms of um, risk for cardiovascular disease, risk for dementia, and even uh, overall uh, anti-aging activities. Uh, but I think we need to not necessarily call it heat shock protein. We know that we can also induce that same uh, pathway via cold water immersion. So I think we should call it maybe thermal shock protein or whatever. I'm sure it'll be renamed eventually. So uh, I think there's great benefit to being in a sauna that does raise your core body temperature. Uh, there's been quite a few Scandinavian studies that have looked at that in terms of cardiovascular risk. I don't know necessarily what you're doing with respect to your sleep. But if yeah, you feel yeah, like so, so what I'm doing, it's not an actual sauna. It's just a light. It's red light. So, so it's just a light. It's not even, not even heat. Yeah. So I think the issue would be uh, how much uh, blue light are you getting uh, versus other parts of the spectrum? And yeah. my understanding is that you're not getting much blue light in that uh, technology. So it might just be there's a certain uh, amount of time that you're depriving yourself of what would other be a, uh, otherwise be a pretty good slug of blue light that you you know would have otherwise engaged. So, but there are some um, uh, you know, well-described benefits. Not I'm not aware of the literature with respect to infrared and sleep but other uh, issues that infrared has been talked about in terms of being good for you. Yeah. You know, one of the things too, I wanted to touch on here, uh, you, you know, we haven't talked about diet yet. We'd love to talk just a little bit about diet. What, what are some of the key foods for, for everyone listening? Or, you know, one of the other things I saw down here, I know, cause I just started looking at a brief overview of what you're covering in your book. You have five steps to reconnect. Do you, do you want to go through those? Would that be good? Just talking about, hey, what are some of these five steps? Yeah, first, let's just, you know, you mentioned diet. And I just, you know, I think it's important to, and we make this very clear in the book, and I think it's really the first time uh, that, it's, that I at least, or Austin has laid this really out, that food uh, is uh, greatly involved in our thoughts and our emotions and really even how we see the world. That our food choices translate into how we perceive the world around us. And again, it gets back to this um, westernization of the global diet that uh, you know people are seeing things to be more and more negative, uh, more and more threatening, and it really locks people into an amygdala kind of based um, perception of what's around them. We don't need that. 
uh, we need people, we need the adult back in the room and we need to recognize that everybody matters and that we celebrate the diversity of the organisms in our gut and we celebrate the diversity of the people who live around us. And that's really very important. We need each other. And um, our food choices dictate how we see other people, friend or foe. Interesting. Um, so to get back to those five steps of reconnecting, actually we cover quite a few uh, in the book, uh, even more than that. But you know, the idea of reconnecting to other people, I think everybody wants to do that. When we're locked into amygdala-based thinking, we are much more self-centered and narcissistic, and we cannot uh, easily connect to other people. We, you know, there are two types of empathy. There is cognitive and aff affective empathy, and affective empathy is really uh, somebody stubs their toe and you say, oh, uh, you feel their pain. Uh, cognitive empathy is the type of empathy whereby you're able to see things from another person's point of view. Uh, you know, there's an old saying, never judge another person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Well, you know why people say that? The reason they say this is because then when you judge them, you're already a mile away and you have their shoes. <laughs> so that's not exactly what that means, but I thought yeah, that went in. But that's good. We need to develop much more empathy. And we do that by regaining uh, access to the prefrontal cortex. So it's all about, as you mentioned, reconnecting to ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, to our future selves. You know, some people... Uh, it's a bit of a stretch, but to be empathetic towards uh, the 70-year-old Josh Axe. You want to be empathetic towards that person. Yeah. How you can express your empathy to that individual is by doing things today to help that 70-year-old Josh Axe uh, be the person he wants to be. Yeah. So empathy uh, in that regard isn't the contradiction to narcissism. It is a bit self-serving, and that's a good thing. So uh, all in, uh, in terms of the importance of reconnecting to the natural world. Uh, it's uh, extremely informative to us uh, from a, an immune perspective and even from a genetic amplification perspective. So that's really very important. Reconnecting uh, to uh, what makes for a good diet. And <clears throat> You know, I think that's uh, always open to discussion. And I, uh, in this age of personalized medicine, where we are trying to be as specific about dietary recommendations for every single person that we can be, I think it's still valuable to look at the broad strokes. The broad strokes would include the fact that we need a lot more fiber in the human diet to nurture the microbiome, as you talked about in uh, Eat Dirt. And uh, so that's, a, that's one of the broad strokes. We need to cut down on refined carbohydrates. I believe we need to eat as organically as we can because it's good for us and good for the planet. We need to choose non-GMO. Again, I think it's good for the planet. To vote with your wallet in such a way that less glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup, will be used on a planetary basis. Um, so those are sort of the broad strokes. Don't fear good fat. We need monounsaturated fats. We need olive oil. We need omega-3s. We now understand that omega-3s work through the endocannabinoid system to do what? Reduce inflammation. That's our goal. So I think the broad strokes are very clear. Uh, the nuances of specific dietary recommendations per patient, I think, are interesting and important for people who can avail themselves of that type of evaluation to determine those things. But 
you know, by and large, we know that processed food is what we need to avoid. We need to start reconnecting with food in terms of understanding where it comes from and in terms of food preparation as well. That really fosters gratitude. So one of the things that is the outgrowth of all this reconnection and all this uh, amplification of the prefrontal cortex is amplifying our sense of gratitude for all that we have. And as you move through the program, it's very clear that happens, that we begin to recognize how grateful we are uh, for the things that are around us, as opposed to seeing so much negativity around us. And why do we see it? And again, you know, the digital experience uh, of our day-to-day lives is fraught with negativity. Uh, a negative tweet is 70% more likely to be retweeted than a positive tweet. You know, we write these tweets about, it's a great day. Uh, isn't it wonderful that such and such did something? Those that don't get retweeted. You write a tweet that says, oh, isn't so-and-so a horrible person? He did, or she did this, and everybody picks it up and gets retweeted down the line. You know, it's and, interesting. One of the things I did recently, I was at, a, and this is something I got turned on to for my pastor. I was in church, and he really talked about the way we're being influenced via social media. And so one of the things that I decided to do is on Instagram, just specifically, I decided to unfollow a lot of people that were feeding into the negativity so much gossip. Uh, and slander and and really just started following people that that and sites that really uh, really focus on positive and uplifting quotes and statements and people that I aspire to uh, model some of the way they act and feel and what they do and so it really has changed and I don't spend a lot of time I might jump on there five or ten minutes once or twice daily I'm just on a little bit but when I am on there it's I'm reading quotes by you know famous uh, people that have changed the world, you know, that sort of thing. But it, it's just amazing. And, and now I spend less time on there, but anytime I'm on there, it's a little more positive. But by the way, I, I just, I love that being more empathetic. And as you're talking about more grateful is just so, so, so important. Well, even the Dalai Lama uh, made it very clear that what we think is what we become. Mm. So when we're choosing, it's a, cho- it's a choice to expose ourselves through mindless time, for example, on the internet, uh, to negativity, we become negative and we will see the world negatively. And uh, we can't afford that anymore. We need to come together and improve our health. Our health is not where it needs to be. Uh, And basically, we are inflamed as a species. You know, with chronic inflammatory diseases now ranked as the number one cause of death on the planet, according to the World Health Organization, it's not trauma it's not war it's chronic inflammatory conditions over which we have control we have a new docuseries about alzheimer's prevention it's about gaining control over your brain's destiny by making the right choices Mm. and you know it's it's your mission uh and i would say should you decide to accept it but i know you've decided to (laughs) accept it to get that information out to people that's the empowerment part and um you know, we put it out there for anybody who's going to listen. And uh, it's the criticism is always, it's always make, makes me chuckle because, uh, you know, uh, I think people feel threatened when we not only empower them, but we make them realize that they have to step up to the plate and make certain decisions. I mean, we live in a world where we are convinced that we can do whatever we want and there's, the, the doctor is going to fix it. Don't worry. Just eat 
what you want, live your life as you may, and there's going to be a, a fix. Well, you know, as it relates to cancer and Alzheimer's disease specifically, oftentimes fixing is not reality. We don't have, as it relates to Alzheimer's, we have no meaningful treatment from the pharmacy at all. As a matter of fact, appearing in the Journal of the American Medical Association in November of last year was an interesting report that demonstrated that the most commonly prescribed class of drugs for Alzheimer's, the so-called cholinesterase drugs, not only don't work, but actually speed cognitive decline. Wow. That the drugs people are taking for their Alzheimer's are making them decline more quickly. Now, am I being negative? You could say that's a negative statement, but I think it, um, it's calling out something, it's calling out a wrong that I think needs to be righted. So, well, yeah, and, and it's, um, yeah, it's always amazing. It, it's, it's, it's always surprising it, not to get on another rabbit trail here, but a lot of the number of, of drugs and medications that get approved and later get unapproved, um, or we find out later on, hey, and, and I know it takes time sometimes to find out, you know, the side effects and what, what long-term, uh, how, these, how these affect our body. But before we go, uh, Dr. David, can you walk us through maybe some of the steps and reconnecting? I mean, you talked about so many great things. You talked about sleep. We talked about diet. We talked about reducing stress and, and light and getting better, you know, better sleep. But any, anything else, any other important points that people really need to uh, consider? Yeah, uh, and I think that uh, very germane is the understanding, again, the value of technology to serve us, but we shouldn't be served, uh, we shouldn't be you know, manipulated by technology. So we give in the book uh, uh, some really practical tools how to approach technology. For example, uh, with your time on the internet, we, we say, does your internet experience pass the test of time? Now, do you set a timer for the amount of time you're going to spend on the internet? That's the key. The I is intention. Why are you on the internet right now? Uh, what is your goal? M, is it mindful? Are you present uh, at the time that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, what your, your task is? And finally, the E is enriching. Mm -hmm. Is it an enriching experience for you or is it filling you with negativity? Is it filling you with a sense of inadequacy that you don't measure up? There's a thing that goes on uh, in advertising is create the problem and then sell the solution. Creating the problem is giving people a sense that they are inadequate in one or more domains and then provide the solution. Usually it's something to consume or some, obviously something to buy. So we're really, uh, it's important. We're not um, ludites uh, saying that technology is bad, uh, but it needs to be used as our servant and we should not be uh, taken advantage of. Again, we wrote the book, you and I are conversing using technology, but be mindful of it. Mm. Use it according to a, a defined period of time uh, with an intention, be mindful and make sure it's enriching. Uh, and, uh, and, and a lot of other tools. And I think, you know, it, all throughout the book, it's, it's really about practicality in our modern world. You know, you're not going to be able to, maybe you are, it'd be a great thing, but not everybody's going to be able to take several months off and go in the forest. Uh, not everybody's going to eat right all the time. Uh, that's very challenging, especially when you travel. We're going to have disrupted sleep. Uh, but we give the reader 
uh, a, a, a whole host of really practical tools to first look at what's going on in your life today with respect to these important variables, and then moving forward, what can you do to change things, uh, ultimately to reconnect, to reconnect to your genome, to let your genes express themselves appropriately, to reconnect to the signaling from your gut bacteria that really want you to be healthy, uh, to reconnect to your prefrontal cortex so that you're happier, more content, can plan for the future, and have more empathy, to reconnect to your family, to your neighbors, to your community, uh, to people living elsewhere on the planet, and then to reconnect to the planet as a whole. So I lobbied uh, early on in the book that the title had to have reconnect in it. That's how strongly that, that notion is represented. But uh, I, I was... I wouldn't say overruled. Well, I was talked out. Well, of you it. know, I actually do love the name brainwash. I mean, that can mean so many, it, it, you know, and, and I'm sure as you get into the book and what we've talked about, re-brainwashing your, yourself in a good way, uh, I think it's great. I think it's great. Well, it, 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 goes, it goes both ways, brainwash. And it goes to, uh, you know, the notion that we are brainwashed. And then it also goes to the notion of washing your brain. There I mean, uh, the title of the cover, I don't know if you can see that. but Oh, yeah, but it looks great. Soap bubbles. So, uh um, you know, it, that was what uh, people thought would be a good idea. And I love it. Uh, you know, it, it's good to be uncoachable, uh, as they say, very coachable. I love it. Well, I want to encourage everybody to check out Dr. Perlmutter's new book. comes out here January. It is uh, Brainwash. It's going to be found in bookstores nationwide, as all of his books is. You're going to be able to find it online, everything from Amazon.com to BarnesandNoble.com. But go on right now and order the book. I'll tell you, I, I'm excited about this because, you know, there, there are a lot of books out there that cover good things, but a lot of times it's kind of the same topics. The, the, you're, you're covering topics that are rarely covered, which I love, and that these are critical for our health. And so I want to say, uh, I love the interview. I was so excited to hear about your trip to Alaska, too. I'm going to have to talk to Chelsea. We're going to have to <laughs> schedule our, uh, you know, our, our boat trip here in the future. And, and I'll help maybe, you with maybe that. Not, maybe not four months. I'd love that. That'd be awesome. Great. Well, hey, thanks so much, Dr. Perlmutter. And yeah, I'd love to talk to your son, Austin, sometime. Uh, and excited to read the book that both of you co-authored here. And I think uh, that would be really interesting uh, yeah. to hear his perspective. So uh, let's see what we can do about that. All right. Hey, thanks, Doc. Thanks, Great. everybody. Enjoyed for it. Listening. Talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. David. Right, bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So if you have a favorite part of this episode, make sure to go to my recent Instagram post and let me know what your favorite part of the show was on the Instagram post. Go there right now. Also, hey, don't forget to follow me uh, my handle, it's at Dr. Josh Axe on Instagram. I cover the latest health news in natural medicine, talk about everything from essential oils to herbs and spices, and how to naturally support your body in healing. Also, do me a big favor. If you loved this podcast, go to iTunes right now and leave a five-star rating. If you loved anything about this show, I so appreciate you being on mission with me to help transform the health of this world. I'll see you next week. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and ingredients discussed in this podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you believe you may have a medical condition, please consult your doctor. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guests' qualifications or credibility. In some cases, individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein.